Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode 121, and today we're going behind the story. I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am content creator and co-host, Tazzy. And for our Behind the Story episodes, we like to talk to creative professionals across industries to unpack their journey. And today, we're going to hear the story behind Simran Whittam, founder of the gaming nightlife event format. Simran, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me now. It's just a pleasure to be here. Good to have you here. We've spoken a couple of times briefly, and this will be a good chance to, yeah, well, at least for us to get to know you. Uh, I don't know. I'm not being interviewed here, so... Uh, I shall remain a mystery until such time we have another conversation. <laughs> anyway, you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, pretty much wherever you get your podcast from. As always, you can send us your feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com. Uh, throw them at us on social media as well. We are at myamada on Twitter, at myamada TV on Instagram and TikTok, or at Tazzy on everything. Another option is to join our Studio 77 Discord and be part of the Maya Matter universe. You can also consider becoming a Studio 77 member to support the work that we do at Maya Matter and get exclusive access to events and artwork as well. Speaking of events and artwork, let's find out what's happening in the Maya Matter universe. So the answer to what's happening in the My Matter universe is a lot of stuff. There's a, there's a lot going on. Uh, we're packing out the end of this year. I, as you listen to this, will be just about going to Malta for the Malta Comic Con on October the 29th and the 30th. I'll be uh, bringing as much as I can fit into uh, my suitcase over to Malta. Uh, also be doing a panel there, which I uh, just had confirmed recently so we'll be talking about gaming with some local streamers we'll be selling some manga some merchandise and then i'll be flying back so i can attend the thought bubble convention in harrogate which is near leeds on november the 12th to the 13th so another convention and then we have a bunch of other things so i'll be bringing our manga to both of those conventions we will then have our casual conversations with comic creators series. So every month I'll be speaking with a different comic creator in a bid to uncover the human behind the art form. So you can catch the conversations live. You can catch the highlights on YouTube. Our next conversation will be on November the 8th in the evening from 7.30 p.m. GMT. So stay tuned to the socials for the announcement of the person I'll be speaking to. And also join us for our Knockout City Games Night or Overcooked. I think we changed that to Overcooked. So I think there's still still debate in the, uh, debate. Okay. In the Discord. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll as see. we, I've, I think there's some messages. I think so. As as we record, there's still some debate. But yeah, just follow us on Twitch to find out what will be happening. And I'm gonna check that after we finish recording. But every month we also play games with our uh, community, and uh, we played a bunch of different games, and we look forward to playing insert name of game here <laughs> so that's the live stream stuff in terms of our gamepad event we also have a number of events coming or have passed so as you listen to this you have maybe missed maybe you were there at with us at the bfi so we had our in games our monsters event at the bfi south bank and we had our games industry explained event at gravity Wandsworth. so those are two events that are now in the past as you listen to this, but we have another event coming up. So on November the 19th, we will be at Samsung KX for Gamepad Online, but with a difference. So we're gonna produce our live stream event in studio at Samsung KX. So we're gonna be making use of all their wonderful tech and expertise because uh, I definitely cannot operate a camera. Uh, someone in that building can, so they're gonna be helping us out. You can also join us. So it'll be hosted by Tazzy as usual, and you can be part of the studio audience for that next Gamepad online event. Cheer on the teams in our Gamepad esports tournament as they play across Overcooked, Mario Strikers, and Knockout City. What I can do is not operate a camera, but I can talk to people. So I will be doing interviews with industry professionals. So we're going to be talking about mental health in games with Safe in Our World. And then we're going to be having a panel discussion on accessibility in video games. So, and we're going to be supported with, by Yuki and Rebellion 
with that as well. So that's going to be an interesting discussion. So like I said, it's online, so you can watch it on our Twitch channel, but you can also join us in studio. But tickets are limited because space is limited. So be quick. Link is in the show notes or just go to gamepad.vents. That is a quick whistle-stop tour on what's happened and what is happening with the My Matter universe. Let's go behind the story with today's guest. So we are joined today by founder and CEO of Format, marketing executive at XR Games and ambassador for Everyone Can. Format is described as the ultimate gaming social. They are a nightlife event for gamers and non-gamers alike, providing a platform for game studios, developers, brands, and community leaders to connect and showcase to a growing community. So we like to start it off nice and simple with what does creativity mean to you? Oh, that is such a broad question. Oh, what is creativity? I suppose the first thought that comes into my head is creativity is using the imagination to be able to express. Expression is a form of creativity in all kinds. And to me, creativity is using your mind to be able to do some form of creative expression, if that answers the question. No, that is a great answer. Did you rehearse that before beforehand? <laughs> no, you caught me off guard, in fact, like with that one. I had to really think on my feet with that one. But when you work in a creative industry, you get asked stuff like that all the time, especially when you're surrounded by artists. Artists like to ask profound questions like that. <laughs> yeah, well, you gave quite quite the uh, philosophical answer, I think. So we'll, we'll sort of get into how your journey began. began. Um, so you're based in Manchester, which is northwest of England, for those who don't know. Um, have you always lived there? No, actually. So I'm actually originally from India. So I'm of English and Indian descent. So I was actually born in India, but then brought over to the UK at a very young age in Manchester, hence why I've got the proud Mancunian accent. It was practically born into me there and then, but that's my kind of original origins. And I've always grown up in Manchester, or as I like to call it, the best city in the UK. <laughs> up for debate, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I know, we're going to take this podcast hey, hey, in a different direction hey. now. It's like... <laughs> Have you never heard the famous saying on the sixth day, God created Manchester? Never, never. No, yeah, I've no, literally never heard that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you're, you're missing out on that one. Those Mancunians are proud people. <laughs> so, tell us a bit about your introduction to games. What was the first game or a standout gaming memory for you? Oh, okay. This is. A, I get asked this so often, and it changes every single time. My memory can't make its mind up. I've loved video games ever since I was the age of five. For me, what gripped me was just the fact that how immersive they are, like how you can easily lose yourself into a, into a game where you can't with a film or a comic or with a piece of music. Games just are able to captivate your attention just so deeply and the best form of immersive entertainment there is out there. And that's kind of what I became fascinated with at a young age, just how you can become lost in worlds. I'd probably say... Hmm. My fondest memory of games is playing like Mario Kart with my mum. Like my mum doesn't like video games at all. Like she supports my journey, but she doesn't understand them because she was one of those people who can't work a controller. But <laughs> I remember some of my funnest funnest memories being with my mum playing Mario Kart on there and that felt the enjoyment that gave me. And it really motivated me to want to create experiences where people could have like those sort of experiences with their friends or just create memories from them. Because that's what I associate games with, really enjoying memories. Mm, a very important question. Uh, which Mario Kart? Oh, I think it was on Mario Kart on the original Nintendo, you know. I remember that because I still remember having to like blow wind into the cartridges. Actually, like, <laughs> that, it actually, like that actually fixed the game back in the day. We all did it as a kid, blow into yeah. the cartridge. Oh, nice, nice. I love that. I have like similar memories with my mum and my sister playing Mario Kart Double Dash on the GameCube, though. Um, one time you could get us all together. Um, <laughs> looking at your journey through educations, it seemed like you've always wanted to work in games. When did you discover you could actually be involved in the industry? Oh, yeah, that's a very interesting story. I basically, so this is going way, way, way back. Like college courses were kind of like dedicated to games because game courses are still a relatively new thing. Like they've only just started to become more and more popular as we've got older. but. 
with me, my sort of journey with games was I started to look for like courses that were relevant to games because I couldn't find specific games design courses at the time. So I wanted to study anything that would give me the edge when going to university. So whether that was IT or um, so I sort of did, went down the traditional route of studying art and IT or anything technical on the creative side, just so that it would give me an arsenal of skills that I could go to university with. But then when I was halfway through a, an art degree at college, I actually discovered that there was a 3D animation course. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And I actually got to like, I went on the taste of days and tested animating characters and things like that. And I thought, this is it. This is it. I'm finally actually getting a real taste of what it's like to making games. And that was so cool because this was back in the day where games courses were just so like unknown. And then I did that. And sadly, I didn't get the grade to get onto the course. I was absolutely gutted. My one dream slipped through my hands. So I had to actually go into DIT. I was at college for four years, put this in perspective, because I was that dedicated. I refused to study any course that didn't serve my long-term goal of wanting to get into games. So I did art, did IT for a year. And then I discovered what is possibly some of the best education I've ever received, which was the Manchester College in Openshaw, which is a really beautiful campus where they actually had a dedicated game development course. And my IT teacher put me in touch with that. Um, yeah, I have a strong affection for my old IT teacher because she really saw how passionate I was for games. Like she she just said, I remember her saying to me that your ambition, just your determination is very admirable and you deserve this. So I'm actually, actually recommended that I go to an entirely different college, which wasn't a good thing for a tutor to do. Encourage a student to leave that college to go to somewhere else. And she set me, set me on the path I am now. I went to the Manchester College and it was just absolutely amazing. Like their course is phenomenal to anyone who's in the Northwest area. I highly recommend Manchester College and Openshaw. They're absolutely phenomenal staff. And they sort of really introduced me to what game design was, getting lecturers in from the industry. And it was just a very inspiring environment to be in. I met people from Team 17, started developing my networking skills because I was even an event organizer there because my college tutors decided to put me in charge of the end of year shows. And that's kind of where my love of events organizing sort of started to be born and just starting getting really good at talking to people and that's kind of like really really what stoked it like that was what really set me down the path i am on now and then i went to university i got offers at a lot of different unis but i studied at futureworks school of media in manchester which is part of uclam for those that don't know what futureworks is it's like a private private university sector of uclam and I went there, which was basically taught by industry professionals. They're based in Manchester, which we still have very strong links with today. And then from there, I studied a degree there for three years. And that's kind of like my educational wrap up for how I got into game design. Oh, what a very lovely journey. You've got to love like when there's those people who really support someone's goals in their story. I just love hearing that. But it sounds great. <laughs> oh, thank you. Her name was Cheryl Powell. Look, I always give her a shout out in any interviews that I do because she's the reason where I am today. Aside from my mum, my mum always supported my journey. So I have to give her a shout out as well. Gotta love that. Gotta love that. And then, so that was like obviously a really interesting pathway, sort of like just sort of had to adjust here and there and to eventually figure out. And you said your mum was really supportive. Was there any other sort of reactions that you got from your parents or family when you sort of told them you wanted to work in games? Um, my family are a very like traditional hard, like hard labor family. So my granddad was in the military. He was a heating engineer. My grandmother used to work in the theater doing operations, things like that. My mother is actually a psychologist. And my brother works in manual landscaping. So I was the first person in my family that actually wanted to go into like a digital technological entertainment industry. So they used to see like how kind of obsessed with video games I were. And there was always this sort of, oh my God, these must be like really big because video games started to go through that boom. Like you, everyone remembers like the early, mid early 90s, the early 2000 boom of when video games started to become the cool thing and culturally cool. And my family sort of thought, we're going to encourage him. I was a little bit addicted. They made, they made sure I took regular breaks, maybe go outside, even though I didn't want to. But <laughs> they were very, actually very supportive. My mum and my brother in particular were extremely supportive. My mum made sure, my mum actually didn't let me give up at any point. She always wanted what was best for me. And my mum is a firm believer in do what you want and makes you happy because life's too short. She doesn't believe in someone being trapped in a situation where they're not happy. So I was very, very blessed to have a mum who supported that mentality. And who basically supported me in all my ventures, even though the traditional path I went down was definitely a lot bigger than I anticipated. 
That sounds really wonderful. When you say bigger, do you mean like there was more to do than you thought or just the industry was bigger? Uh, more the fact of where I've ended up. Like I thought I originally just wanted to be a game designer, even though the, oh, the term right. game designer was so broad at the time. Now, had someone told me that I would be running the UK's biggest games on the nightlife event and working at all those different studios on such amazing projects, like I, I wouldn't believe you. Like the path route. The path I have sort of ended up down was very, very unexpected for someone, especially from mm. the background I came from. So with such an interesting journey, what was the best advice that you got when you were starting out? And did you follow it? Yes. And this is the best piece of advice that I live to to this day. And it is not what you know. It is who you know. Your network of contacts is your life's blood in any work. And it can make your life a lot easier. And as someone who's been able to, as I'm sure people who might know what format is, the partner and brands we've worked with, once you know five people, you know 25. My college tutors encouraged me to go out and network at a very young age. And I was the only student in my class to actually keep that advice. So when I was put in charge of our end of year shows, I was getting people from Team 17 and even Lionhead Studios, the creators of Fable. I actually got one of the game designers of Fable free to turn up to our end of year show and at a college level I just found that I had a bit of a gift of the gab for lack of a better word for just talking to people and that advice has always really stuck with me because your network contacts you can be the most talented human being alive but if you lock yourself in a room and you just don't speak to anyone at all no one's ever going to know about the talent that you possess and it's so up to you to just go out there into the world and show yourself worth and show your talent to the world I'm a firm believer in go out, speak to people. Like, even if you're the most introverted person, be proud of the work that you do. And don't be afraid to put yourself out there. And it is a lot easier said than done. Because I'm, I'm a bit of a weird person. I went from being the most introverted human being alive to the most extroverted man alive today. Like, I can't stand being cooped up anymore. I like to be out all the time. Whereas when I was about 5 to 18, I just did not want to leave my house. I just wanted to make games or play them. So it's a, it's it's a bit easier said than done, but it's the best piece of advice I've ever been given, and I still live by it today. I'm always going to events up and down the country, networking, people such as yourself and I, who I've spoken to through mutual contacts who recommended mm. me to you. And it's just the power of just, like the very games industry is exceptionally small. Like we're the biggest entertainment industry in the whole world, yet the actual people in it are so small, it, is, it would shock you. Once you're actually in it and you understand it, everyone knows each other and it's baffling and that's why having so many networked contacts is just so important so yeah that's the best piece of advice i ever give and i highly encourage people to please go out and network it will literally get you jobs and opportunities that you just could not have got the traditional methods mm, there you go so we're gonna go into making video games so you got started in game development with Milky Tea Studios. Was that your starting point in the games industry? Um, no, actually. So I started working in the games industry as young as 20 years old. So I actually got offered um, sort of like freelance QA work with Team 17. To anyone who doesn't know Team 17, are, they're, the, they're most famous known as the creators of the Worms franchise, but they're one of the biggest indie publishing labels in the whole of the UK and all world now they publish games left right and center and they've become a powerhouse throughout the industry so i started doing that whilst i was at university so i actually started doing qa sessions traveling all the way up to wakefield which is even further in the north than manchester is it was a lot of work to balance that this was before i started manchester gamers unite that would become format and i was basically getting my foot into the industry as i said that advice that my tutors used to always give me just go out and take every opportunity to network really seeded with me so I just used to go out and I managed, I was very lucky that I got QA experience at Team 17 and I did that for over a year. So I was, that was kind of like my entry point. And whilst I was at university, this is just skipping over the origins of format. In my second going into third year at university, I actually founded a game studio with some of my fellow students and we were called Try Heart Interactive and we went on to work on two titles. We did a co-development project with a um, Northern Games indie publisher slash developer called Prospect Games, and the game was called Terror Worm. And then we have the game which I'm most famous for, which is called The Ottoman Empire, which is a fat online multiplayer fast-paced shooter, split-screen shooter, where you play as otters in space with jetpacks. Yes, oh the, yes. <laughs> the name was intentional. Oh, my God. I absolutely love otters. Yeah, the, it was our pride and joy. And it's, I, I shouldn't really say this, but it's still my favourite project I've ever done to this day. Like, it's... 
we we basically founded the company together as a bunch of young people and we basically set this goal of to build our own game studio and make our own game and not only that most game studios out of university most student formed game studios that form and it is a very sad statistic over 60 percent of them fall within the first few months and then most game studios outside of being a student who basically fall within the first year or two and not only did we manage to do that we also managed to release our game on Steam, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. And when you've put your heart and soul into making a game that you're so dedicated to from the initial concept stages all the way to finally launch product, see that on the Nintendo Switch store was just absolutely phenomenal. Mm. So yeah, so that was that. And then I went to basically after about, I'd say it was about nearly a year and a half after the launch of the Ottoman Empire, I got offered a role with the likes of Milky Tea. Um, to anyone who don't know Milky Tea, they are a Liverpool-based studio. They're the developers behind Coffin Dodgers, which was a really successful kind of semi-famous indie title. And they're also the developers of Hyper Brawl Tournament, which got released on all major platforms, which was sort of my like big boys title, if you like. It was the first time I can say I actually worked on a title that launched on PS5, Xbox Series X, on Apple Arcade as well. So I'm very fortunate to have worked on that because I've got every single major platform under my belt, apart from Google Stadia. R.I.P. Yeah, I was going to say, don't worry about that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's sort of like my game development journey there. Then I actually took a break from games for a while, and I decided because I'm a firm believer in that you should experience so many things in life. Like I'm a bit, like Outside of my work, I love traveling. Like I've traveled all over the world, and I'm a firm believer in that the, if you just have a portfolio of experiences, just go and try as much. Go try as many different food, meet as many different cultures as you can. Go do things that you traditionally wouldn't do. It just helps you grow as a person. And I decided I wanted to try a little habit that I've always been interested in, which was the performing arts. I used to like, you know, see all the various, being an event organizer, I used to see things like the Disney's production of The Lion King and Lion, the Witch and the Water. I think I'd love to do stuff like that. That looks really cool. So I actually took a break and went to go work at the Lowry Theatre for anyone who might know what that is, which is one of the, the North's basically established art institutes and theatre companies. So they're based in Salford, which is a technically not part of Manchester, but I class it as part of Manchester. The people from Salford like to class themselves as a separate city. They're not a separate city. They're a Manchester. They're Mancunian, whatever they like. <laughs> yeah, I'm a proud Mancunian. Let's put it that way. So yeah, I went to work with those guys for a short period of time. Then I actually got the call back to games because you can leave the games industry, but you can't take the games industry person out of the individual. So I kind of went back to games and I went back to the team at XR Games, where I am now at the moment as their marketing exec, working on tons and tons of cool VR titles, ranging from AAA to licensed projects. And I cannot tell you a single one of them, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, well, when you can, uh, do let us know. Oh, you don't worry, I'll be. Let's just say they're very big projects and I'm looking forward to being able to talk about them when I can. So... How did the reality of making games compare with your previous perception? Oh, everything you think about game development is not what you think it is. It is a very difficult process, and this is something I'm very passionate about, which is actually one of the original founding testaments of Format when we were going on about bringing game devs and game developers together. I'll touch on part of that in a bit, but game development is, and I stand by this, one of the hardest things that you can do on this planet. I haven't worked in the film or music industry, but I imagine making films and music is significantly easier than making games. Because for every little thing that you make in games, I imagine it breaks 15 other things in one location. And there are so many different components that people don't think about from the initial concept stages to pre-production, the planning, having to implement art assets, having to think about marketing, having to think about the stress of taking it to the public and actually launching the title on multiple platforms, dealing with platform holders. Uh, for anyone who don't know what platform holders, that's like dealing with Nintendo Switch, PlayStation, uh, Xbox. You have to negotiate with all these people just to get your game on the platform. And that's not even taking into consideration if your game will be successful or not. And I feel like game developers are unsung heroes. Like It's very easy when we play games to forget that there are human beings that have made these. Like an actual human being has sacrificed their time and effort because they love this, like they're very passionate about it. If you're not passionate about making games, the games industry is not the right place for you because you need to have a passion or at least a very, very strong interest in wanting to see a game come to life because 
it is game development can be extremely rewarding but it can also be extremely difficult and you've got you've got to have your heart and soul put into it but a lot of misconceptions you see online is that game development is easy when in fact it's getting harder because the technology is becoming more and more advanced every single year which means that video games have to keep up with the demand and that means more realistic art assets higher level detail bit better mechanics better animations that stuff takes a lot of time because you're trying to tap into you, you know making the best of the technology and you know that requires people getting smarter and smarter by the day and people having to learn tools and different skill sets and people who do that are just I think game developers basically should be getting medals left, right, and center to what they do. Because, <laughs> yeah, they, they bring endless amounts of joy to people all over the world. Like, no one ever sets out to make a bad game, which is a famous quote that a uh, friend of mine, Fernando Mello, former producer at Bioware on the Mass Effect and Dragon Age franchise, once told me, is that no one ever sets out to make a bad game. It's just that, you know, certain things that happen along the route to game development. And that is what I firmly believe is that game development should be applauded because the route just to make a game is so difficult and i think if people understood what really goes into game development they would have a very great understanding and appreciative of a pretty appreciativeness of it and that's kind of like what really drew me to create format effectively and i can touch upon that bit in a bit hmm. so you clearly have a lot of skills so what are some of the non-technical skills that you developed having to engage with players Oh, so my trade, if you wanted to call it, if you wanted to put a label to it, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, but I'm a community manager slash marketing exec slash marketing manager. So, and you've got to have the gift of the gap to be able to do that and learn how to talk to people because that's communications effectively and sales and being able to do content creation. So being able to, like, you know, create assets, being able to learn how to speak to the general public. So I sort of fell, I fell into a bit of a weird place because at university, they, this was when I first learned to do game design, you kind of fall into a box. They either want you to be a programmer, a producer, an artist, or a game designer slash level designer. I sort of never really fit into either of those boxes because I'm, I'm extremely organized. Like I'm that guy who color coordinates his shoes in his house. I'm, I'm that guy, but I love talking to people. So one of my te technical skills was that I just learned how to very communicate well with people and how to organize people to hit milestones and how to achieve end goals. And a lot of skills I learned was how to edit videos, how to use Photoshop to be able to do basically create assets, how to run a podcast, how to actually like you know hold people to a schedule, how to do proper scheduling, how to do email etiquette, how to build brand packages or how to do branding these are things that traditionally you don't learn in game design but in community management we're effectively marketing people and we have to learn these things so those are like non-technical skills that i learned that still tie very very well into what i basically practice today i actually use my the skills my non-technical skills a lot more than i do my actual technical skills today mm. And then you've you've done a lot. <laughs> so what was your best achievement in the early days of being in the industry? Uh, early days. Hmm. I've kind of got two big achievements. So my biggest achievement is when Format became the UK's biggest games industry nightlife event. So for two years, we basically used to bar hot. We were a small event that basically grew traction over time. So our first event, we actually didn't intend Format to be a business. It was literally something I just did in my summer of my first year at university because I was bored. I said, let's get a bunch of game, game students together and I would just have a gaming night in a bar with a bunch of consoles. 150 people turned up to it, which was absolutely insane. And I just didn't think we could do that. And we started doing these events again. More people turned up again. More people turned up. And I started to do them on a monthly occurring basis. So Format just grew and grew and grew like rapidly. For two years, we did that. And we brought together game developers who started getting involved. So we would get small indie developers showcasing. And before you knew it, we had Ubisoft and PlayStation wanting to come to this bar in Manchester and showcase, which is unlike any event I've ever heard of to this day. Like I've never seen Ubisoft going into a little tiny bar to showcase Far Cry and Mario versus Wabbits to, to the public. It was just unheard of. And we grew a lot of traction that route. But we really decided to grow it into a business with a massive rebrand. And this was before format. It used to be called Manchester Gamers Unite. And we hosted an event at the Printworks in Manchester. I assume they have a Printworks in London as well. And it's very, very similar. 
to the mm. one that's in London. And um, we basically hosted this massive rebrand party. We had stormtroopers, dancers. We had this big LED screens on the inside, developers ranging from AAA, AA and India. It was across two floors. It was the biggest event we'd ever done today. And we had over a thousand people turn up and pack out the print works with these just enormous queues. And I just remember walking out because the manageress of the venue at the time, she just came up and she said, you need to come outside. And I was like, why? And she said, well, just come outside. And I just walked out and just saw this immense queue going around the print works. And I just immediately said, we're going to need more wristbands. <laughs> so I just <laughs> sent the team on a massive run. But seeing that queue outside the print works was sort of the light bulb moment slash like really intrinsic value like highlight for me was when I knew I could build this into what I've always wanted it to be, which is to be this massive nightlife event that just doesn't exist in the games industry that takes urban street culture, nightlife events but also mixes it with the video games industry which no one has done across the world and it's been it's been a challenge implementing something when you build something that's never existed before it's very hard because you're taking so many cultures that don't mix together and you're trying to like find a medium ground between them all but i've been able to do it so that was one of my biggest moments was seeing the print works event i can ramble so i apologize about that i'm very passionate about it <laughs> so yeah love the passion yeah <laughs> That was one of my proudest moments. And then the second one was launched in the Ottoman Empire because, as I said before, video game development is extremely difficult. And we hit, traditionally, I don't know if you're familiar with the term, like it gets used in games industry press quite a lot and a lot of content creators refer to it. But there's a thing called development hell, where <laughs> basically game developers go through some of the worst pain that you can possibly imagine. Like they hit every single development trouble that you can possibly imagine from the game breaking, getting refused by publishers people not even wanting to review your game, your game just like generally not being fun, not making any progress, like milestones not being hit, stuck in the end. I, I basically, it's called development hell because it's just an endless limbo, like where you just feel like you're drowning, but nothing's actually getting accomplished because the game's just broken. We hit that point with the Ottoman Empire and we spent nearly a whole year in development hell, but because this was our company, we were still determined to get this project through to the end and that involved a lot of late nights, the core founders of the company and the development team sometimes even working weekends just because of how passionate we were just to get these this game made that's how much we love those otters we wanted to send them off into space that badly and when we finally hit the big launch button no pun intended and it, it just it's a very strange feeling when you've put your heart and soul into a project and it, it's not even like you're a developer on the project you're one of the founders of the company so hitting and that big launch button and sending your product product out there to market was a very very scary moment but then when you see the content creator review start coming in the youtubers playing your game twitch players it's it's surreal because it's no longer your product then it's the world's product to that point but launching a game on nintendo switch xbox and steam was my childhood well obviously nintendo switch didn't exist at the time but i just wanted to launch a game since i was young and i achieved that and it's a weird feeling when you achieve your childhood dream it's a very, very weird dream. It's kind of like when you, in the films where you see a person sat there watching the sunset, except it was raining on the day I launched it. It was absolutely chucking it down, so I kind of just stood and looked at the rain. I mean, rain rain is a very important part of life, so uh, yeah. it's got to look at it like that, right? Yeah, so, yeah. It, it, that is our second proudest moment, though. Like Watching that game go to go to market was just... It's, I've never experienced it ever since with any of the titles that I've launched. Like, I'm very passionate about the games I've worked on post, but that game was somewhat special because that was my first game that I took to market and it was our baby project. So they're my two proudest moments. Even though you only asked only asked for one, I was a bit greedy there. <laughs> yeah, you snuck two in there. So want to talk a bit more about uh, format. So having founded Format in 2016, tell us about a typical fo typical Format event and how was the latest event in September? Okay, I won't toot my own horn, but we are an experience that you will never have seen before. So I want you to imagine a rave for the games industry, as hard as that might be to describe. So imagine basically three whole floors of a beautiful venue club in Manchester where you have indie, AA, and AAA developers. And these are the actual developers behind the games that you love. So imagine actually meeting the developers of Assassin's Creed, showcasing their game to, their pub, to the public, or indie developers who are trying to get their game out there to the audience. 
actually across three whole floors with DJs, live music. We have performers like the likes of Fireteam Ascension, who are master chiefs in LED lights, who will basically stand there and dance on stage. Stormtroopers serving your drinks behind the bar. Iron Man twerking because he feels like it. And a, full, and a full Iron Man suit, Marvel characters. But then you also have the gaming public and the content creator community coming together as well and actually interacting with developers on a personal level like you don't get at the traditional trade shows like EGX Insomnia because of the formal barrier that exists between the two three worlds there, whereas everyone's having a drink and having a good time together at our events and people just are there for the experience. That's how I kind of like to sum form up. It's an experience, and we are a nightlife movement for the games industry. What did make you decide on focusing on that, like nightlife in games? Yeah, so I I went to university, and naturally, when you go to university, you party quite a lot. And this is where the introvert in me started to die a little bit, and I became very extrovert. So I used Manchester is, and Manchester's been voted the best nightlife in the whole of the UK. We have some phenomenal clubs here, like the likes of the Warehouse Project, Park Life, Factory, even though Factory's a bit old now. But we have some of the best nightlife that there is in the whole of the UK. And I love club culture because it is basically just taking away people's problems and they go there to enjoy and create memories and experiences, which kind of ties into why I like games so much, tying back early into the podcast, that I love things that create memories and experiences. But with video games, there is no nightlife event. A lot of the games industry parties are such are what earlier Manchester Gamers Unite used to be, which is like sort of bar meetups. There isn't actually a dedicated nightlife event where it's like, where's the rave? Where's the DJs? Where's the lights everywhere? Where's the epileptic shock lights everywhere <laughs> I'm like, where, where are all these things and i think it also takes someone who loves those things because the games industry is a naturally introverted industry like the two worlds don't very blend well together like nightlife and games so it's mixing those two cultures together to find a nice background and i was determined to do it but i also love fashion culture i love urban streetwear uh, that's just the type of stuff i am and that's where we're kind of at culture at the moment in terms of culture. We've gone through so many different phases, the rock and roll phase. Now we're in the sort of early pop culture, urban rap culture. kind of, And you see it a lot in TV advertisement today. And I was determined to tap into that whilst it's still fresh and said, right, I want to build this out. And I had a great team of people. My uh, former business partners at Try Heart Interactive were very helpful in sort of the journey of Manchester Gamers Unite before I started to take it on format on its own separate journey. But it sort of grew into this. I never intended it to be what it was, but it started to grow really quickly. And then I became determined to turn it into a full-fledged business, which was having AAA, AA and indie developers actually sit down and talk to the consumers about why game development is so hard and vice versa. The consumer actually sit down and understand how hard development is and actually meet the creative minds behind these games. But at the same time, everyone's having a drink, everyone's having a nice time, people get very drunk. I may as well disclose that. People get very drunk at these events, being a nightlife event. But it's unlike anything there is. You won't see a DJ performing live. Like We have some fantastic talent from the Manchester DJing community come play for us, whilst also you've got developers showcasing their games. And it's just a magical experience. Like I've received a lot of testimonials in my time, but to have some of the biggest brands and community leaders in the industry, such as Sony, Ubisoft, Electronic Arts, Alienware, Merge Games. God, there's so many that have worked with us. Lad Bible, First PC. A lot of them have taken interest. And that to me is a huge bonus and a sort of like pat on the back to what we're doing is definitely on the right track. So that kind of really inspired me. It, it was validation as such. When we started getting all of these big brands wanting to work with us, that's how I knew we were onto something special. So I really locked myself down and amplified it. And that's how it's putting a team together and thinking, right, we really need to highlight the nightlife element. And it works. We get over a thousand attendees per event now, which is just absolutely insane to think that we were just 150 people in a bar where we started. And now we've took over three whole floors as of our latest announcement. We've now got three whole floors to ourselves, which is absolutely insane. We've had offers of acquisition where people have wanted to buy us. We've had external investment in the past, and it's just continuing to grow and grow even more because people believe in our vision. 
which is to build the nightlife movement for the games industry and also provide a place for people of all sectors and all backgrounds in the industry to come together and just have a fun time. Whether you're a content creator, a gamer or a game developer, it doesn't matter where you're from or what you've done. You're welcome at Format. Mm. And talking of um, Format growing, what do you have planned for 2023? Uh, I'll tell you some of it and some of it I'm keeping it close to my chest. So we've announced recently that we've actually secured the third floor of our venue. That was our latest announcement earlier this week, which has just been fantastic because up until now, the events have been on a single or two floor. Our venue at Impossible Manchester, who have been very gracious to us over the last few years, they've really helped us grow because the Impossible is a fantastic venue, which is really suited towards nightlife culture. And it's a aesthetically very beautiful venue that serves the sort of culture that we want to cultivate effectively. And we've announced that they've given us the third floor, which is really, which means we can fit more developers in. So whereas before we were 20 developers, now we can fit up to 25 game studios and businesses all under one roof, which is phenomenal. That's something there. And um, we've announced, well, we've not announced it, but we've locked in our dates for the next year and uh there's been a very popular request for a long time from our attendees and i've decided i'm gonna cave and give it to them even though it involves a lot of work but i'll get it done we're also working with some very 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 lovely studios who i can't wait to announce sounds exciting um <laughs> so everyone stay tuned um to uh hear more about that uh, in the future so I just want to touch on diversity in games. So this year we started our diversity campaign, Do I Look Like a Gamer? For the photo campaign, we had people bring their favorite controller or handheld console. What is your favorite controller and why? PlayStation 2 controller, without a doubt. It's iconic. Like the, the PlayStation 3 controller, the PS4 controller, the PS5 controller ain't got nothing on the PS2. <laughs> there is just something magical. Don't ask me what it is. Maybe it's just the nostalgia of it. I, I yeah, I just, just, when I think of gaming, that is the first controller that comes to my mind because there's just something iconic about the PS2 controller. And I just think it's where my funnest memories of what drove me to go into the games industry are associated with the PlayStation 2 controller. And aesthetically, it's a sick controller. Like, it, it was ahead of the game. Like, it was just so good. And it's iconic to this day. I love it. Like, we're, we're having a format graffiti mural made at the moment. It's actually our um, header uh, on our um, Twitter. And you can see that we have all, like, the controllers that mean the most to us. We have Xbox, we have PlayStation. And it's an Xbox 360 controller. And the artist who did it was like, do you want a PlayStation 4 controller? I was like, no. I said, put the <laughs> PlayStation 2 controller in there. What side of question is that? <laughs> uh, and then um, what does diversity mean to you as someone focused on building a community in games? Acceptance, regardless of who you are and what you want to be. Here at Format, we don't care where you're from or what you do. We have got one golden rule, which is just respect the event and respect everyone in it. And for that, you are welcome. Because that to me is what it means is acceptance for who you are and who you want to be. I love that. So what does success look like to you? And are you there yet? Success to me is achieving your intrinsic values and intrinsic objectives. So I think success can be a very dangerous trap to fall into because when you achieve one thing, you'll just want the next thing, then the next thing. And I see this all the time with fellow, like, like I don't, I'm not a fan of the word, but entrepreneurial spirits. Like I see it all time and time again. And they're not even people who set up their own thing. Like people who try and achieve the career goals, they can beat themselves quite up a bit because either they don't achieve the goals or they achieve it and they feel a little bit lost in the world. And I think success involves really looking deep inside yourself and thinking what internally makes you the most happy and then working towards achieving those intrinsic and internal values and goals. That got very deep, I'm aware. Yeah, I know. I'm like, my brain's just absorbing. <laughs> I, like, I, like per I like personal development. Let's put it that way. I've read, I've read a lot of personal development books because I consider myself to more or less, of a I've achieved more than I ever thought I would in life. And I'm very blessed. I have, you know, a good family. I've got a very good partner. I have a dog, so I'm already happy. The dog would have just made me happy anyway. Life but, complete. <laughs> yeah. I don't need the rest. I just need the dog. A man is doggo. John Wick proved that. All you need is a dog. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I consider myself like, 
I think so long as you're internally happy with yourself, that is success. And I think that involves everyone. You just need to, and not everyone knows what they need to be happy and that's fine. It involves, like I said earlier in the podcast, go out and experiment into the world, like go try new experiences. Society today is designed to pigeonhole people into one profession or one identity, if you like. Well, that's not, that's not what life is. Life is about trying so many different things and just you know being your own person and part of that is going out and discovering who you are so you go out discover who you are in the world and then you identify what you need to be happy internally then work towards that don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. like having lots of money and assets and stuff like that you could class as like you know materialistically successful but internally if you're not happy then was the success of that even worth it Mm. So yeah, that is what happiness is to me. As long as you're inter- internally happy and you've achieved your internal goals, you are successful. Okay, so next we're going to go into our guest advice. I have a feeling we're going to get something pretty good here. <laughs> In each interview, we ask our guests to give advice for aspiring creative professionals. We've been talking video games. So what advice do you have for our listeners who may want to get started in creating their own video game event of any kind? I think so. If it's if it's talking about creating their own event, the first thing you need to do is first and foremost is do your research. And it depends what your goals are with the event. Like if it's if you just want to bring people together and you don't want to build a business and you just want to bring a community together really identify and this is some of the best advice i've ever heard which is actually from greg hoffman the c the former cfo marketing director of nike which is identify your core brand values but you need to identify who what you represent get rid of the name get rid of the brand you need to identify what your core values are first when you when you're building anything because those values will influence the creativity that you apply to your product or whatever it is that you're trying to make so really, and what that basically means is ask yourself who you are before you set out to do the journey, because a lot of people start a journey without understanding who they are, which means that their audiences never actually understand what they are to begin with. So really ask yourself what it is that you want to achieve and what you represent, and then go forth and then replicate that in the actions that you undertake. Great bit of advice, as I foresaw, we were going to get something awesome. So to all our listeners, you can give your feedback on this interview um, and let us know what you think directly at feedback at mymatter.com. Yeah, you know, this is like, it's one of those things where it reminds us that the podcast is really for us, for me and Tazzy, just enjoy listening to people's stories and picking out the bits of advice and definitely a lot in there for people. So this is the part where we do like to throw random follow-up questions or things that don't quite fit anywhere else. And I feel like, Simran, you've like covered so much so well. One thing that I did want to come back to is you mentioned travel. And mm-hmm. I've been doing a bit of traveling, uh, have a bit of traveling to do for this year. Where's the best place that you've traveled to and where do you still want to go to? Okay, um, this is a difficult one because I'm always tossing and turning. I'm probably going to say that like, I'm half Indian. and I'll say the place that had the most impact on me was finally going back to India because it's an entirely different world. Like it changes your entire perspective of just like how sort of privileged we are in the western world and how mm. like a different just how different culture is and it's the one country i've been to i enjoyed it thoroughly like that really had a profound impact on me that just made me appreciate that like i'm it, it was a very spiritual place it made me really assess what i need to be happy what i need to be in order to be happy in life so it was one of those cliche films like The Last Samurai where someone goes somewhere and they actually like walk away feeling like they know what they need to be in life. <laughs> so that's that's the place that had the most profound impact on me. The place I've enjoyed going most in the world is Malta because the people are so friendly. It's warm weather all year round and it's just a beautiful country. It's also where Game of Thrones season one is filmed. So I recommend going there if you're a Game of Thrones fan because it's absolutely... Yeah, I went to that place actually. Yeah, it is yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. Malta is a beautiful country, so yeah, there's that. And one place I want to go to, uh, I have this conversation all the time. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, and I want to go to the Shire. 
I want to go to the Shire. <laughs> I believe I believe it's in New Zealand. Yep. And I just want to sit there on the hill, look out at the Shire and watch the sunset. That is my that is one of my dreams. I like that. I like that. Uh, any game studios in New Zealand? I'm sure there are. You can you can make that. Oh, happen. Make yeah. there, there's contacts. loads. Yeah, there's loads. <laughs> Kill two birds with one stone, kind of thing. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I feel. Uh, I mean, I'm going to Malta. So if I wasn't already, I might be like, uh, I'm gonna go book tickets. But I already did that. So looking forward to uh, going back to Malta and uh, yeah, hopefully doing more traveling myself going into 2023. So you've now completed the interview. You've uh, achievement unlocked. There you go. Oh. Achievement unlocked. Thank you for spending time with us. It was an absolute pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Nudge the podcast you guys are doing is absolutely fantastic. Cool, we appreciate. That. I always appreciate people coming and talking and and giving us kind words. You don't have to, but uh, that, that is appreciated to just future note for anyone else. Anyway, um, so if you enjoyed this episode <laughs> of Story X Story, or just like to come and shower us with praise, that is cool too. Either way, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss a future episode. You can also give us a rating and review wherever you are able to do that. That helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. We mentioned some of our manga that I will be taking to Malta and other places. Our latest manga, Serious Through the Fog, is out now. So you can check it out at those conventions or on our website, myamada.com forward slash manga. You can also join the Studio 77 Discord. Consider becoming a member as well for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the Myamada universe. And our, speaking of gaming, our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign is live. As you listen to this, we've just wrapped up our latest event and last event of the year, but you can catch the VOD of that on our Twitch channel and also look forward to taking part, getting involved with the 2023 campaign. So we have a bunch of plans in store. We're going to be working on those uh, and making sure we let people know how they can get involved next year. So check out looklikeagamer.com and follow us on social media for all the details there. And you can also stay tuned because we have, or we'll have more podcast episodes, including creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. And you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com. And our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. So thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe and book your tickets to Malta, just like me and Simran did. So take care, everyone. (laughs) 